great future. We're talking real money. Our wiring is a mess. Really, our brains have a, a serious wiring problem. Why do we follow gurus? Why? Particularly financial gurus, but why do we follow any of them? I mean, I've done some research on the subject, and apparently we have an overriding need to have someone tell us what will happen. And we're willing to suspend disbelief to have someone tell us what will happen. Even though we know, I think, logically that they're incapable of doing so. Therefore, the popularity of psychics and the like. And I guess all those financial experts who claim to be able to predict the future, and yet none of them have a track record to support the claim. None of them. I read a recent piece by Gary Schilling, who's been prognosticating since... I think the 70s. I believe he was one of the few people who called the market crash in the 80s. I I don't remember exactly because that was a long time ago. But uh, Gary Schilling has been writing for Forbes and other publications for a very, 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 very long time. So he has a track record. He has a very long track record. It's very public. And his latest prediction is that stocks are going to plunge again in, get this, seven weeks. (laughs) He calls it right down to the week. Now, could he be right? Sure. Anybody could be right at any given time about almost anything. You could also be wrong. So what has Gary's track record looked? like in the past. I don't want to go too far back, but he does claim to have correctly predicted the market crash of 2008. And I guess you could say, yeah, he did, because in 2007, he predicted a market crash. He predicted it again in 2008. However, he predicted it again in 2009, saying that the S&P 500 would plunge to 500, maybe 600, when it actually closed 2009 at 1,115. Then in 2010, he predicted it would go down again. Then he predicted a recession in 2012. Then in 2012, he said, we're in a recession. I don't remember the recession. 2013, he said to sell stocks. In 2014... He said there was a 98% risk of a market crash. In 2015, he didn't really say stocks were going to plunge, but he did say there was a possibility of weakness and that that oil would fall to $10 to $20 a barrel. It was $43 at the time. Then he said that oil would fall to $10 a barrel the next year, 2016, because he was wrong the previous year. And he said stocks are now looking weaker. In 2017, he was worried, but not particularly bearish. In 2018, he didn't see any bad news for the market on the horizon. And by the way, in 2018, well, that was the first year for many years that the 
stock market actually closed the year lower. So he didn't get that one. Then in 2019, he did say there was a 66% chance, 66% chance of a recession. However, looking back, without COVID, would there have been a recession? Really? Do you think? I don't know. You know, you can never tell. We have COVID. It's what the reality is. But here's the here's the rub. Here's the real story. If you had religiously followed Gary Schilling's advice, you would have gotten out of the market in 2007, into 2007. You would have totally gotten out. And based on his predictions going forward, you would have been way too scared to get back in. Because if nothing else, he was concerned the whole time because he's a perma bear. He is. He's always been bearish. I mean, since I started doing talk radio in 88, he's money talk radio. He's always been bearish. So let's just go back to 2007. Let's say in the 2007, you sold everything. You went into bonds, just bonds, high quality bonds, intermediate term. And you stayed in those right through today, right until July 31st, 2020. You would have enjoyed an average annual return of about 3% per year. About 3% per year. If you had just stayed in the... And he always talks in terms of the S&P 500, so that's what we're going to use. If you had just stayed in the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's 500, the 500 biggest U.S. companies from over that entire time, from January 1, 2008 through July 31st, 2019, your portfolio would have grown in value at almost 9% per year. That's a substantial difference. That is triple the return. And remember, in that period, we had a terrible year in 2008 into the beginning of 2009. We had a bad year in 2018. We had a big crash in 2020. And yet, if you just owned the S&P 500 over that entire time, you would have done three times better than taking his advice and getting out back in 2008. No one can predict the future. Why, oh why, oh why, do we keep insisting that there must be someone who can? And by the way, people pay Gary Schilling 300 and some odd bucks a year for his, pro his prognosticative newsletter. I don't know how many people do it, but it's obviously, it's, it's obviously enough to keep him living pretty comfortably. Why? What do you get from it except bad advice? Got a question? Want a comment? Give us a call at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also send your questions in by going to TalkingRealMoney.com. There's a button you can push 
to record your question, and it sends it right to me in better quality. Or you can type it out, which most people choose to do for some reason. I guess we're just writers more than we're talkers. And it comes right to me also. So it's it's easy any way you want to do it. And we're going to take a couple of those questions. We'll start with one that was sent in. The topic? Allocation. In regards to the stock portion of my allocation, and I don't have a total world fund option like VTWAX, what percentage should I use for the following? Wow, we're going to kind of have this question twice, but a variation on the theme. So that'll be part of today's theme. Large cap, mid cap, small cap, foreign. Don't need the money for 20 years. Well, first, I would be 50 large, I'm sorry, 50 U.S. and 50 international. We're darn close to it, 55, 45. That'd be my U.S. international allocation. And for the foreign portion, I would probably just use a, uh, a broad index, international index fund. Then for the large, the mid, and the small. Mid is not as important, but if I was going large, mid, small, and you've got a 20-year horizon, I'd be darn close to splitting that in thirds. I might over even overemphasize small or overemphasize small value if that's available to you, but if it's just those three, then I'd probably split it in thirds between those, and that is the 50% that's left after having 50% overseas, so... That's about how I do it. You don't have to be exact in that, but I think it's what you want to own is something that looks a lot like the total market, yet overweights small and value, generally speaking, based on decades of history. Right now, yeah, small cap and value not doing well. Would you rather buy them while they were high or low? I like low better, but hey, it's up to you. 855-935-TALK is our number, 855-935-8255. So you can call your questions in, or even easier than dialing a number, it's just going to TalkingRealMoney.com and going to the contact page, TalkingRealMoney.com slash contact, and then look for the mic, hit that, and just start speaking your question. Boom! Comes right to me, and in a lot better quality, like this one. In a hypothetical scenario in which someone was putting away $1 million for 30 years in a blind trust in which they would have no ability to see the balance for that entire period, how would you advise that money be invested given the vo- that the volatility of the portfolio would have no impact on the investor? See, pretty much the same question, just phrased a different way. I like the way you phrased it, though. You can't touch it. You can't look at it. You can't do anything about it. Therefore, volatility just vanishes as a concern. You can't see it, so you don't know. What you don't know isn't going to scare you. Now, the simplest answer, the easy answer, if you don't want to do anything to set this thing up, you just want one fund, go with the Vanguard Total World Stock Index. That's the easiest. However, again, Based on what I just said, you want to emphasize small and value and you want to broaden your diversification because broader diversification gives you something closer to the per- to the performance of the market. There's no way you're going to pick what's going to be hot decades from now. There's just no way. You're not going to know. So you just want to own it all and ignore it. 
but you want to overemphasize those things that have rewarded taking the additional risk. And those things are small company stock or have been small company stocks, emerging markets, and value. So here's what I would be sorely tempted to do. I would go Vanguard Total World Index for 60 to, well, even 80% of the portfolio, depending on how aggressive you want to be otherwise. If you go with 60, though, then I would go 10% each in the following. The Vanguard Emerging Markets Index, which is V-E-M-A-X, V-E-M-A-X. 10% in the Vanguard Small Cap Value Index, V-S-I-A-X. 10% in the Vanguard Small Cap Index, which is V-S-M-A-X. Actually, you could go lighter on that one because you're going with the value index. And then 10% just for a hedge, in VGSLX, which is the Vanguard Real Estate Index. Now, you could lower those to, for example, you could go uh, a, a little heavier. You could go 10, 10, uh, 10 in the emerging, 10 in the value, 10 in the real estate, and then go 70% in the Vanguard total world. But it doesn't really, it's, it's not going to amount to a huge difference how you end up allocating that. You just want to over-invest a little bit in small and value. And um, I think that will put you in very good stead down the road, considering that the uh, the small company stocks have, over the last almost 100 years, returned, what is it, about 10? No, it's about five times more than the broad stock market. So it's a pretty substantial increase, or it was a pretty substantial uh, difference. Thank you very much for your question and keep sending them in that way. I love them like that. Just go to talkingrealmoney.com slash contact and then hit the button, hit the mic button. It's really, really easy. Don't even have to get a phone out. All right, one last question sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the typing form. This one is about my mom's, not my mom's, but the uh, the correspondence mom's, Franklin Templeton account. Oh, commissioned. Commissioned. Hi, my mom is 76. She has about $36,000 in the Franklin Income Fund. She collects Social Security and my father's police pension of about $52,000 a year tax-free. Very fortunate indeed, he says, and I agree. She doesn't need the $36,000 other than maybe $15,000 for a new roof. I don't like the fund because it's expensive. 0.78%, I believe. Yeah, it is expensive. I'm 48 and 90-10 in Vanguard. What do you recommend for my mom who essentially just wants a minimal risk, low cost account to pass on to my brother and I? Also, if she takes it out, what's the tax hit? Thank you so much for what you do. I love you guys and Clark Howard for advice because you're honest. Thanks for what you do. Well, here's the thing. If she does need a new roof, then the first thing you probably want to do is take 15000 out and put it in a 
higher yielding savings account until she needs it, which will only return her about 1% per year, but it's safe. Go look them up online, like at bankrate.com. Uh, the rest of it that's left, the 20 grand, well, you're already at Vanguard. I'd suggest you probably go to Vanguard and either look at the Vanguard Balanced Index, which is going to give her uh, a, a moderate amount of risk. Tell her not to look at it. The Franklin Income Fund is mainly, uh, it's more of a bond fund. It's bonds and it's high dividend paying stocks. So it's generally an income generator. Uh, that means that most of her tax liability, I, I'm assuming it's not in an IRA account. So she would have been paying the taxes on income distributions along the way. Uh, it has posted some capital gains over the years, so there'll be some increase in value. Over the past 10 years, it's it's almost doubled in value. So um, there will be a capital gains tax on that. There won't. She, she probably is all caught up in her income tax for it. So her capital gains rate in her bracket will be 15%, so she'll be fine there. Uh, she'll have a little bit of a hit, but not bad. And then the other thing that's nice is that with it at Vanguard, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be easier for you to help her with it because you already work with them. Uh, but the Vanguard Balanced Index, maybe the, uh, the 2020 Target Date Fund, um, you could even go, no, that's probably about right. I'd probably go about the Balanced Index because the other 20, she doesn't need, as you said, and it's an inexpensive fund, and it's not terribly volatile. It has its moments, but they're not awful. So I think that would be a good place. Thanks so much for your questions and for listening. Again, three ways to get in touch. Well, actually, four. Four ways to get in touch. Quick question, call it in to 855-935-TALK, or go to TalkingRealMoney.com, hit the contact button, and record it there. Or you can take a little longer and type it up at that same place, talkingrealmoney.com slash contact. Or if you have a more complex question, we help everybody. Clients or not, and we do it for nothing. It's our educational outreach. It's something we've always done and always will do. Now, bear in mind, we will not manage your portfolio for the rest of your life for free. That would be dumb. We have to pay our advisors and the rent, and we still have an office and a lot of costs. When, when you're an investment advisory firm, everybody's got their hands out, particularly the government, lawyers, those kind of people. So, um, But we do like to help people with problems that we can help them solve with a longer meeting, which is why we have a meeting scheduler on TalkingRealMoney.com or at Vestory.com so you can set up an appointment meet with an advisor online or over the phone, get some questions answered, and not worry about getting pitched, getting a high-pressure sales pitch. And there is no obligation and no cost. So go to either Vestory.com, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y. You can check out our firm there. Or go to TalkingRealMoney.com and uh, set up an appointment. Meet with one of our advisors. It's free, it's easy, and it's low pressure. Promise. 
Thanks so much for listening. I love that you listen to the podcast. Please do me a favor. We are getting so close to being up there in the top 50 podcasts, uh, investing podcasts at Apple Podcasts. Please tell friends about it. Uh, the more you can tell people, the better everybody in this country is going to do. You know that's the case because most of these podcasts are get-rich-quick schemes or garbage. So spread the word. Tell your friends whenever you get a chance to talk to them, given this virus. You can call them and tell them about the podcast, and I appreciate you being there. Have a great one. Talk to you tomorrow. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That should keep the lawyers happy.